0: Dougherty, the six seven sophomore from East Meadow, New York. Leadership is learned. A starter on Coach Dean Smith's legendary 1982 Tar Heels National Championship team with Michael Jordan. Jordan comes down with a rebound. Clears it away to Daugherty. Daugherty going in against Floyd. Up good. Leadership is earned. Head coach at the University of North Carolina and the University of Notre Dame. You notice Matt Daugherty. He is up working every second of this ballgame. Leadership is taught. Public speaker, author, and executive coach. And leadership does not require a title. This is The Rebound Podcast with Coach Matt Doherty. Welcome to The Rebound Podcast. I'm Matt Doherty, and I'll be your host. On this podcast, we discuss leadership and overcoming adversity in an open and raw kind of way. I became passionate about leadership in 2003 after I lost my job as the head coach at my alma mater, the University of North Carolina. I went on a leadership journey. Leadership is a skill that needs to be practiced on a continuous basis. A special guest today on the Rebound podcast, Uh, Debbie Antonelli is a college basketball analyst who works for ESPN, CBS, and Westwood One. Debbie was born in New York, upstate New York, raised in Cary, North Carolina. Played basketball for the legendary Kay Yao at NC State University. Uh, I won't say when you graduated, uh, but you started for three seasons. The Wolfpack made the NCAA tournament four times and appeared in the Sweet 16 twice. And then, Debbie, this summer, you were inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. You've accomplished a lot with this game. Congratulations, and thank you for being on the show.
1: Matt, come on. I mean, I I have admired and respected you from afar for a long time, and I'm glad that we have become friends here recently as we get to the latter stages of our basketball careers. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, What we like to do here, uh, Debbie, on the Rebound Podcast, I like to do deep dives into the obstacles public figures have had to rebound from in their personal journey. You know, people see people on TV, radio, out in public, and say, that person's got it together. And, and I like to say we all wear masks. I wear three masks. I'm from Long Island, so I got to wear a tough guy mask. I, I like to think I'm smart, so I wear a smart guy mask. And then I, I, I like to think that I have my stuff together, so I wear I got my stuff together mask. And when I come into these podcasts, I want us to take off the masks. I'm not as tough as I like to think I am not as smart as I like to think I am. And I definitely don't have my stuff together like I wish I did. And I think that when I when I do this deep dive, what this is really for is people listening, see you on TV and like, man, she's got it together. Look at her, good looking lady, played at North Carolina State, doing all these games, doing the men's games. But I know there's more to it. I know there's more to the story. So So let's talk about starting with you growing up, your biggest influence, you know, just growing up, and we'll get to the to the tough stuff. Uh, but t- tell us a little bit about growing up and and your transition to North Carolina, playing for Kayao at NC State.
1: Well, Matt, I was so fortunate that I'm the oldest of three girls. Uh, my sisters are close still today. My mom and dad are, you know, very active and involved in all of our lives with our children. So they have eight grandchildren. So that's the first thing is family is so important to us. And that's because my parents were such great role models growing up. Both my mom and dad worked and they worked hard. They did everything they could to help us have options. They allowed us to fail. They forced us to try. Um, They gave us a, a great set of uh, foundation so that we could you know, move forward and make decisions and, and give, give this thing called life a, a big try. Uh, so um, growing up in New York and playing all sports, and my dad got transferred to the Triangle area. So we moved to Cary, North Carolina. And I played three sports in high school. But when I was 13, my mom and dad took me to NC State. I sat on the railing at Reynolds Coliseum. And that's when I learned that girls could play basketball in college and they could get a scholarship to do it. And that's when I centered my focus on trying to be someone that Kay Yao would select to be a part of her team. So that's kind of the short version of how sport has played an incredible role in in helping us build family and and be around um, other people that emulate the same things.
0: Yeah, how about that? I just love that story. How, How you were 13 years old sitting on the railing At Reynolds Coliseum, watching NC State's women's team play. And that sparked something in you that led you and motivated you to continue to work on something you were very passionate about. That's powerful. 100%. I
1: mean, I never knew that girls went to college to play a sport. I had never been introduced to that. Living in upstate New York, they're, you know, the college scene is not as big as the professional scene, as you would know, growing up on Long Island. And when when you get to the Triangle area, you can't help but be immersed in how big the college product is. And there's these rivals called Duke and North Carolina and NC State, and they're all right there together. And, and I, I saw these women playing, and they were really good, and they were athletic and physical and strong and they played together, and Coach Yao was such a great leader, and I watched all of that. And then I went to her camps, and I went to her camp every summer. You know, basketball camp was different back then. You actually went and learned how to play. Right. <laughs> it wasn't an evaluation thing. You know, you were trying to learn how to play defense and what's help side, and you were trying to learn how to score off the bounce and what is a screen. And, you know, it sounds like it's so simple, but those are the things that we did in what we called the Ke Yao Camp mini-stations. And uh, me and my high school teammates went every year and we had a blast. And I developed a relationship with her, obviously through the recruiting process and then playing for her and then having an incredible 30 year relationship with her before she passed a a very valiant public uh, battle with breast cancer.
0: Well, we'll, we'll touch on Kay Yao because I know she was very instrumental throughout your life. And, and as all good coaches, they're there for you beyond your playing days. Um, but let's, I want to unpack something that you touched on. And this is is what this podcast is all about is rebounding from failure, rebounding from adversity, overcoming obstacles. You just said something that you're Parents and maybe in particular, your dad allowed you to fail. I think that is so important for young people to build resiliency through failure. Talk more about that.
1: Well, when I was eight years old, Title IX passed. I only knew playing, I never knew that there were all these discriminatory practices out there that didn't allow little girls to play. I mean, my dad was an incredible athlete, he was a you know, a great high school player in every sport. He was a quarterback on the football team. He was the point guard on the basketball team. He was a pitcher and played shortstop on his baseball teams. And uh, I sort of wanted to do the same things. I didn't see why there was any reason why I couldn't. I remember being nine and 10 and my dad having a softball game and I'm in the outfield shagging uh, fly balls uh, during batting practice. And uh, I'm fielding ground balls like the guys are, in uh, warm-ups. And there was no different. When I was nine, I played on my first basketball team, the CYO League in Hyde Park, New York. And when I was 10, I was good enough to try out for the Little League baseball team, Hyde Park Little League. We didn't have an option for girls. There was no softball for girls. And so uh, I went through tryouts and I was skilled enough to do it. And that's when I think you know, from a fail and succeed and make a mistake and learn from it. I think that's where, you know, sport helps us. I mean, all sports are uh, not mistake free, right? Even the best guys in uh, major league baseball hitting 300 is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, That means you're hitting one out of three. And basketball, if you're shooting, you know, if you're you're a guard and you're shooting 50% from the floor, that's ridiculously good, right? So I think, um, you know, I just learned that if I worked hard enough and I kept practicing and I put in enough reps that I could maybe be good enough. And that was sort of my mentality. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm just going to keep trying. Now, along the way, there is some failure. There is some, get that girl off the field in little league. There is uh, running laps before practice. And I distinctly remember hearing some dads, why is she out there? You know, why do we have a girl playing? And actually I was good enough to make the all-star team twice as an 11 and 12 year old. And I actually hit a home run in the all-star game when I was 12 (laughs) over the fence.
0: (laughs) Over the fence. Yeah. It wasn't one of those that went through uh, the infield and the center fielder couldn't track it down and you you ran the bases. It went over a fence. How about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think I can't imagine my parents sitting in the stands, having to endure some of the things that they may have heard during that time. But what it did was, as a parent, I don't want my kids living in the middle. You know, you can't live right down the middle. You have to try. Right. You know, give it a try. If it works, great. If it doesn't, maybe you evaluate whether you liked it or not. But if you don't, try. And then I'm not, you know, I use this example um all the time uh, with other parents. Today, not like when we were in school, there are these things called the portal. And I'm not talking about the transfer portal for basketball. I'm talking about the academic portal where as parents, you can go and look at what your kids' assignments are, when their papers are due, uh, what tests are coming up. And I told my boys from the beginning, I'm not going to be that parent. I'm not doing that. You have a choice. And there is a consequence for your choice. If you don't want to do the academic work, turn your stuff in on time, whatever your responsibilities are, then you're going to suffer the consequences of that. Because if your grades aren't good, then you're not going to play. Right. And it was pretty simple. So. I think that that's an example I like to use about, hey, you know what? We, we can't do everything for our kids. They are going to make mistakes. Hopefully, they're not mistakes that are irreparable, are, that, are that you can, you know, have a bad choice or make a mistake and, and you can fix it and solve it and figure out how. But I, I've always tried to be a solutions-based person, not somebody that complains. Amen. If there's an issue, let's figure out. And I think some of that resolve and the resiliency that you refer to comes from playing little league baseball, being out there with my dad, throwing the ball around, uh, going through batting practice. Um, and my mom was athletic as well. It wasn't like she wasn't out there doing some stuff too. Tell
0: me a time as a youngster when you failed, and what was your dad's reaction? What What do you remember? That car, I always loved the car ride home as a dad after a sporting event, my, my daughter swam and rode in college. My son played lacrosse and those road trips, um, after a game, after a practice, uh, those were special. I think both as a parent and as a child, tell me of a time when you failed and your, what did your dad say that sticks with you today?
1: Well, I remember one time, it's just a great question because you just made me think of something I haven't thought of in a long time. There was a situation on the softball field where um, we were playing in the championship and um, there was uh, I was pitching. So it was underhand. soft. Back then, this is slow pitch. Right. We're not playing fast pitch Mm -hmm. softball when I was growing up. And uh, this is in the rec league. And my dad is the coach. And the other team had a couple of really good hitters. So, uh, I I mean, I know this sounds kind of silly to say it was slow pitch, but I threw a bunch of junk, right, (laughs) high and inside, high and inside. I just threw the ball really high and tried to let it land on the inside uh, back shoulder so that this person who was a really good hitter wouldn't get a hit. Well, I threw a horrible pitch that was back shoulder, and she hit it over the fence. (laughs) And I threw my glove down. I was so mad. I couldn't believe that she could hit that over the fence. And uh, I looked over and my dad, it gives me the chills thinking about it right now. His hands were on his hips and he looks at me and all he said was, pick that glove up.
0: Mm. And
1: Mm. never said another thing to me. That uh, We finished the game. And I can't remember if we won or lost. I don't even remember. But I do remember getting in the car and my dad making it very clear to me that it does not matter where, where I am or what event I'm doing or whatever situation I'm in. If I ever show negative emotion again, I will not be playing. And that was when I was 13 or 14, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I was a freshman at NC State. And and when I was in high school, you know, sometimes the refs make a bad call and, you know, we get upset. And, you know, and if, if you acted like a jerk, my dad always said to me and he he didn't say, you know, if I turned it over, I missed a shot. It was more of the character and the attitude. If you show any negative emotion, you will not be playing. I don't care who you're playing for. And in college, uh, I had a situation my freshman year where I got a technical foul from the bench. (laughs) From the bench?
0: Wait a second. You were a player and you got a technical from the bench?
1: I was a freshman on the end of the bench. (laughs) It's a really great story. It's a great KO story we can get to. But I remember when that happened and I got that technical foul, I knew and assumed I was going to get in trouble with Coach Al, I was probably gonna to have to go to the track and meet me there at 6 a.m. and run till you puke, one of those situations, right? right? Yeah. But it was uh more the fear of, oh my God, is he gonna make me, is he gonna take me off the team? Right. Like I'm not gonna play in college, like he's gonna make me sit. And how's he gonna handle that with Kay Yao? What is she gonna say? You know? So I, I remember that. And and since since then, those are those are two really interesting yeah that you know, my parents. They set the ground rules and yep. you, you make choices. And if you make a bad choice, there's a consequence for
0: it. Well, I tell young people all the time, your life is nothing but a series of decisions and dealing with the consequences. And, um, you know, that that is very evident there with your dad and what he uh, demonstrated in raising you. And the thing that's neat that I hear screaming out of, your conversation is you had a strong dad. And, and, and I think children need both parents at home. Daughters need a strong father. And, you know, the tough love, like holding you accountable, not letting you slide, not, not making excuses for your behavior. That, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. I, I, I really appreciate it. I love those stories. What's your dad's name?
1: Paul and Peggy Mulligan are my parents. The Mulligans.
0: Paul and Peggy Mulligan. I tell you what, that is Irish Catholic through and through. 100%.
1: (laughs) One hundred percent. I mean, it's a hundred percent. it is. And my husband's a hundred percent Italian. So we got a great yeah. blend of three
0: boys. Yeah. Well, you know, the Italians bring the food to the table. You know, the Irish food isn't so good. Um, yeah. The Italian. And, and, we, we and got other
1: things that we're good at, though.
0: Yeah. Well, telling <laughs> stories, uh, being wise guys and drinking beer, um, you know, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> Um, uh, but uh,
1: good. I like that order.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a, as you touched on, and I—I I, tongue in cheek, but you know, you—you you mentioned that before we started recording, growing up in North Carolina, playing basketball in Cary, following the ACC. I've got to ask you, who was your favorite player growing up?
1: Oh, I'd be remiss not to say that I didn't watch all the two guards at North Carolina. Right? I mean. You're you included Steve Hale would be another one. Jeff Lebo. I mean, you know, I I think part of that is because we watched film when I was in college of you guys playing really Because coach had so much respect for Dean Smith that she would break down the run and jump or she would break down the uh, the the two three zone trap in the wings. Uh, those are things that you guys did, and she had such a great measure of respect for Coach Smith that we watched a lot of what you guys did. Now, growing up in Cary and, and being right there in the middle of the triangle between Duke and Carolina and NC State, obviously college basketball is the king, and it and still is, honestly, um, in that area. You can't help but if you love hoops – Watch and listen. I didn't get to go to very many men's games. I went to the NC State women's games because it was just ten miles from where my parents and I lived with my sisters and Carrie. But um, it was uh, an easy trip over there, and it was fun to go. and And so um, I I know my my parents. I I can't imagine what they were thinking at the time because I really wanted to go watch these games. And I think they probably saw a a shift and a a switch in me that um, you know now is when. At 13 and 14, I'm trying to figure out how I can be good enough to play for K. Yao. Yeah, Cut, uh, such
0: a critical age, that seventh, eighth grade uh, year, your passion for whatever it is, whether it be sports or, right. you know, a musician, or, you know, that's such a critical, critical age. All right, let's, let's fast forward. As an athlete in college, what was your biggest setback? Was it an injury? Was it a... You know, you didn't get to be the star player. You lost a big game. And how did you deal with it?
1: Well, first of all, um, you know, I would self-scout that I was an incredible shooter uh, in great shape, understood everything we were doing. And I called myself and I have referenced myself as the best non-stat starter in NC State women's basketball history. Wow! I started for three years and you wouldn't see a huge stat line. I might go four for six with a couple of turnovers, maybe a long rebound. If the other team got a technical, I'd shoot the free throws. Uh, But I played like 31 minutes. Yeah. And there was a point where, you know, from a conditioning and, and all this stuff, like we weren't on campus working out and staying and going to summer school. We went home with our book, with our workouts, and we were expected to do them. So when we came back, we would be in shape before you started, you know, practicing. That's right. And I took that very seriously because I really wanted to play. I knew what my deficiencies were as an athlete and as a basketball player. And while I worked on those in the offseason, I definitely knew what my strengths were. And in my mind, if I could really shoot it and I spent a lot of time shooting it, how could she keep me off the court? She was going to have to play. me. So my attitude was... You always have to have a shooter. I space the floor. I make things easier for everyone else, and that's why I've always called myself the best non-stat starter. Now I don't ever want anyone to ever challenge me for that. That plays at NC State right now, but I, I make light of it because I think that's the way I see the game, and, and that's the way I call the game. And I could take a deeper dive into a um, you know a possession and not just surface you know what happened, but tell you how and why it happened.
0: If that becomes a thing, the best non-stat starter in NC State women's basketball history, I might have to steal that and bring that over to Chapel Hill because I think I could qualify the best non-stat starter. I mean, I kind of was like you. I I averaged, you know, like nine points a game, four rebounds, five assists, but I averaged more minutes than anybody on the team.
1: Right. And that, that's that's why you and I see the game in a similar way. And I think that's what drew me to your role so much that you could play that role, and so could I. You yeah. played with one of the, the, the greatest. I played with really great. Okay, so there were all Americans on our team, and I I wanted to win, and I wanted that's to right. be a part of winning as a player that's on right. the floor. I wanted to make it impossible for Coach Out to take me out.
0: Yep, that's that. that's so, that. In a national championship game, there are two players in 1982, Georgetown, North Carolina my sophomore year, two players played 39 out of 40 minutes in the national championship game. One was Patrick Ewing, and the other was me.
1: (laughs) It gives me chills, Matt. I mean, it gives me chills thinking about it, because I I get it. I totally get it.
0: And, and so you try to tell youngsters, like, it's the little things. You do the little things. And, and I didn't appreciate maybe what I could do as a player until I became a coach. And then I realized, you know, you really need somebody to feed the post. You really need somebody to communicate on the floor. You really need somebody to be able to take the ball out of bounds versus a full court press and not panic. You really need somebody that can make a foul shot at the end of the game. Um, you really need somebody when the game's tight and it's just a, you know, you got to make a Smart play, you know, tip it, tip it off someone's leg or call a timeout or um, instinctively. Those are things that I could do and and you could do and you take them for granted. But you realize when you you're watching games and evaluating games for 30 years now and I'm uh, I was coaching that those things aren't a given, that those are skills that, uh, you know, playing Coach Smith would always say the core values, play hard, play smart, play together. And he always talked about players playing with savvy. And that's what you did, and that's what I did, and that's why I got to play.
1: You know, I knew I had to be the best shape, the most conditioned of anyone, which in yep. the – preseason I was first or second in every running thing we did okay so I'm making it impossible even though we know as coaches now like 30 years later you can look back and go did that really matter you know whether you're going to play or not I mean you like to think as a player it factors in you know okay I'm going to keep winning she's going to have I'm a winner she's going to have to put me in I'm going to make a shot she can't take me out and I wish somebody asked me recently about if you could go back what would you tell your your college self about playing I said, I, I wish somebody had told me that it was OK to do what I did and that it wasn't it was OK that I wasn't the fastest yeah. or the you know strongest, but that I had a set of skills that and I knew it was OK because she played me and she never said anything to me. So I knew that I was doing the right things. But once in a while it would have been great for, you know, you to get that reinforcement like, hey. Yeah. You played 39 minutes in the national championship game. Okay. And you didn't have the same stat line that Michael Jordan had, but wow. Right. How about that? Like that's, that's, that's crazy good.
0: Yeah, no, it's good stuff. And, and coach Smith would always say when I was coaching at North Carolina, he talked, you know, we talked a lot. And one of the things that he would say, and I wasn't good at as a coach was praise the actions you want repeated. And so you know, when he did praise me for, you know, uh, feeding the post or uh, sprinting back on defense, that was powerful because, you know, you that affirmed that, hey, I'm doing the right thing. He recognizes it, he notices it. And it also drives the other team mates to do the same thing. And, and so uh, I was a find the flaw kind of coach, you know, because I felt. That well, if I take all this time praising everyone for doing these little things that I take for granted, I spend most of the practice kissing players' behinds for not really doing much productive stuff. I want them to get better at the things they're not good at, and but that was my DNA, and and one of the things I've learned through leadership training and coaching is that not everybody looks at the game or life like me, like you. And there's more people that need that affirmation than not. That's good stuff. Debbie, I want to now get to uh, personal stuff. And this is where we do a deep dive and get behind the scenes. And I know there's been articles written. I read the article in the Washington Post. I think it was Sally Jenkins might have written that article. Uh, You know, your first child was an easy birth, and you're so confident of the second child that you played nine holes of golf the day he was born?
1: The, the day before The day I did. before. Yes. what you shoot? I don't, I don't remember. I, I just remember thinking, this is really amazing that I could swing this club, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good.
0: Yeah. And then and he came out, the baby came out, Frankie came out with the cord wrapped around his neck and holes in his heart. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. And most people that see you as this tall, pretty lady on TV, smiling, positive vibe, don't get to hear this, don't get to see this. Tell me, tell the audience what that was like. I mean, you're, you're lying on your back in a hospital bed and you just delivered a baby, and we all pray that things go well, and there's an assumption that it's going to be fine, especially since you had already had a boy that was healthy. What was it like for you?
1: Well, um, let me even set the stage a little bit um, with more detail. On the, the day, so when when my son, those of us that have had babies that are listening, uh, male or female, um, you know, dads listening about their the wives having babies. I never had contractions with my first son. Uh, I was two weeks late. They started Pitocin. I had him. So I never had my water break or go through all that with Frankie I was two weeks early I'm playing nine holes of golf and I'm starting to feel a little cramping and I call my mother and she said I think you're having contractions and I'm like oh that's what they are I never had them the first time so I called the doctor and he said okay well just keep track of them and then if they get closer together let me know well the day goes on and I get to the end of the day and I call my mother and I said hey I think I'm still having these contractions she said well how far apart are they I said, I don't know. She said, well, you're supposed to be writing it down. I said, oh, well, I didn't know that. I said, well, I I feel fine. It just feels like a little cramping. She said, well, you better start writing it down. So as we got closer to the evening, I actually had an appointment to get my hair cut at seven o'clock. So my contractions were about, I'd say they're like 15 minutes. So my husband came home, Frank, and I said, come on, let's go. Uh, You're gonna have to take me to get my hair cut. I don't think I should drive, but I really need to get my hair cut because if this baby's coming, uh, you know, I'm priorities. I just need to get it done.
0: priorities. You got to look good. Yeah, <laughs> got to look good just for the cameras. It's
1: just, it's just all the stuff that comes after you have the baby. You don't have time to go get your haircut. So, <laughs> so play I, golf uh, and get a haircut. Right. Uh, we get Joey who's two and a half. We go and, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm getting my hair cut and uh, every once in a while I pull my um, my arm out from underneath the uh, robe and I look and I go, oh, well, that was like nine minutes. And then, oh, well, that was like seven minutes, you know, and and the guy cutting my hair is like, are you having contractions? I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine. Just keep Mm -hmm. going. The lady sitting next to me is looking at me with wide eyed like, oh, my God, I think you are. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. He gets done. I said, "Look, here's the money. I gotta go." Yes, I am having contractions, and I'm going right to the hospital. So we go home, grab the bag, drop off Joey at the neighbors, go to the hospital. By the time I get to the hospital, I'm already six centimeters. Oh, uh,
0: let me ask you. So let me. Ask, I'm going to interject. I, I, I say this all the time. Your biggest strength's your biggest weakness. <laughs> You're an athlete. You're tough. You're competitor. You overcome pain, right. and my guess is that you're like, "Well, I don't want to be a wimp." Like, yeah, it's like a little cramping. I can handle this. I, you know, it was tougher in practice for Kay. Yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> you know, I don't want to complain about this. I don't want to whine. I don't want to be viewed as soft. And there you are, getting your hair cut, and you're you're having contractions.
1: So ridiculously stupid, right? Just doesn't make any sense. But you're uh, and you're yeah.
0: Irish, so the hard-headed Irish.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, Frank, just drive fast, get me there. They get me in there and uh, I'm only in the hospital for about an hour and 45 minutes before Frankie is born and uh, he is born and he was blue when he came out. He was he was blue and the doctor, you know, they took him away and my rule with Frank and I know you're going to think I'm I'm nuts, but I just was so afraid I said, Frank, when the babies are born, you go with the babies. Don't stay with me. I just want to make sure everything's okay. And that, you know, nothing happens. So when they go to do all the stuff they do, when the babies are first born, you just go with the nurses and I'll be fine. And so he did. And obviously Frankie was blue. So we had some concern. And the first thing the doctor said to me, the first time he came in my room was, how are you feeling? You know, you all right. I said, yeah, I'm good. He said, does Frank? does Frankie look anything like Joey? I said, no, he doesn't look anything like Joey. As a matter of fact, he was blue. You know, so is he, you know, like, well, okay. So he leaves. The second time he comes in, now I I think everything's fine. APCAR scores a little bit low. I think everything's good. The nurse brings me some food. I haven't eaten in uh, a whole day. It's like midnight. I get some food and and I'm having some scrambled eggs. And um, the doctor comes in again. He said, um, you know, asked me some more questions and left, and I'm like, you know, what's going on? We had Frank had come back. We had called everybody. We called his family, my family, everyone. The baby's here. We're all excited. Everything's great. Frank's his color came back. His Apgar scores a little bit low. And then the third time, the doctor came in, and he said Frankie was showing signs and symbols of having Down syndrome. Mm. And I said, what, mm. what are you talking about? Then he, he showed me a, a couple of things like he um, people w- that have down syndrome have a line. Uh, we have crooked lines in our hands. They might have a straight line mm-hmm. um, there are certain things about the big toe next to the second toe, uh, the, the features in the face. And he said that he was showing us and uh, I said, what? And then he repeated it. And then I didn't handle it well. I didn't handle it well at all. Thankfully, the next few days, Frank handled it a lot better than I did. We well, you had, said you uh, didn't
0: handle it well. What What did you do? What didn't you do?
1: I think I was in shock. I required an additional day in the hospital. Uh, I didn't want any visitors. It took me a while to get up out of bed and start doing things uh, that you do in the hospital when the baby is born. Listen to Uh,
0: yourself though. Listen to yourself. I didn't handle it well. You're talking about delivering a baby that has downs and you're saying I didn't handle it well. Like I I think that sometimes we need to have compassion for ourselves, uh, give ourselves grace, forgive, forgive ourselves. We're quick to forgive other people, but not to Forgive ourselves. We're quick to give other people's grace for the most part, but not ourselves. So if that was your friend or your sister who delivered a Down syndrome baby, what advice would you give them in that situation?
1: I can't even tell you the countless number of parents that I've had a chance to meet and talk to that have gone through a similar situation and I think that's part of the reason why our, our platform and and our situation is public and we want people to know. I want people to know now so I can help someone else. Now I'm like, wow. I mean, if I had known there were certain things about what we were able to accomplish and, and do early on with Frankie that he could nurse. So that sucks, swallow, breathe. That's a really hard skill to do. He was capable of doing that. Um, that he could uh, cross midline, that he was capable of, of doing that when you would put a Cheerio on his on on his plate, and he could cross over the midline to pick it up with his pincer grasp, little things like that, that are little signs and symbols, uh, the way he uh, smiled, you know, how happy he was. Uh, I wish I had known that I should have enjoyed it instead of worrying about everything, because When not knowing that he had Down syndrome and thinking that you're going to have this incredible uh, path and journey with your kid. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, it changes. And I honestly thought that my career was over, that he was sick. I was going to be home taking care of him. Uh, What was this going to look like for not just me? I wasn't even worried about me. I was worried about my son, Joey, and I was worried about my husband, Frank. How are we going to do this? And it took us five years before we had Patrick because we went through all the genetic testing. There's nothing genetically that predisposed either of us to having a child with Down syndrome. It was God's choice. And it Mm. takes a while to understand the why. Mm. And there was a lot of questions at first. Why me? Why us? Why did God pick us? And all along, Matt, my good Irish Catholic mother always said, you don't have Frankie for something you did wrong. You have Frankie for something you did right. Wow. And that's which. Repeat repeat
0: that. Repeat that. Repeat that. That's so darn powerful. Wow. Repeat that, please.
1: I don't have Frankie for something I did wrong. I have Frankie for something I did right. And she would say that to me over and over. And and it resonated with me. Like, what a switch in attitude that is. What an incredible, powerful thing to think about. Now, what are you going to do about it?
0: OK, let's let's, let's just <laughs> hold on to that for a second. Your mother, like most Irish Catholic moms, is, is a saint. Mine was Mary Cleary Doherty. Rosemary beads under the pillow. Stations of the cross. Put the sign of the cross on my forehead at night before, I, you know, she'd go to bed. I don't have Frankie for something you did wrong is something you did right. Uh, one of my favorite quotes Nelson Mandela says is I, I, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And, and that's what this podcast is all about is mindset. Like how do you overcome one of the biggest setbacks anyone could have is delivering a Downs baby. I mean, it's a healthy baby, right? But so a Downs baby, somebody who has, can I say special needs?
1: Yes. Yeah. So
0: my brother, my brother has a special needs uh, autistic child. And, and so like, (sighs) like we wake up, my back's hurting me. We I wake up, oh, I lost a client. Oh, I lost a game. You delivered a Downs baby. And your mother says to you, you don't have Frankie, but for something you did wrong, it's something that you did right. That mindset had to kind of, You, I read that, you, you know, and, and rightfully so. You were dealing with depression at this point. Is that safe to say?
1: A good nine months of it, I would say. Uh, and And basketball did help me come out of it a little bit um because it took me um you know into our basketball world right and separated me from the day to day of trying to figure out what I was what we were doing you so, know how we're going to do that?
0: So during that 9 months what was a day like for you during those 9 months what were you feeling what were you doing uh, how hard was it to get out of bed what was Frank your husband saying to you what were you saying to yourself
1: Well, the first thing is, you know, I'm thinking about my two and a half year old. Okay, like I do have another kid and I have to I have to make sure that I'm never feeling guilty or or feeling like I ever did something to dismiss or not pay attention to him. So that's the first thing is that was in my mind. The second was, you know, uh, I'm going through the motions. I mean, I'm taking care of him and I'm doing what you would do. Uh, But it was uh, very uh, flat feeling. It was a feeling of, you know, I mean, why, you know, I just didn't, my faith was questioned at the time. And uh, I didn't, I sort of isolated myself from everyone. I didn't want, uh, I didn't take calls and I didn't have people coming over to the house. And I, I went through the therapies and I started reading and studying and slowly I started coming out of it. I'll even tell you this, since we're bringing the Irish Catholic thing up, I went like, I was still in the hospital. Frankie was in the hospital for nine days after he was born in the NICU. And uh, I would go to nurse and bathe him, but he spent the night there. So I was in the library of the hospital and I was reading up on some things about Down syndrome and I was having a hard time. There were a lot of like when this happens in the hospital and and you have a baby, you know, you go through the tests and then they dismiss you and you go home. When you have a child with special needs, there's this whole other stuff that happens, social workers and uh, hospital administrator. It's just this whole other thing that people are coming at you. And I went to the hospital library to try to read up on something that I thought, you know, let me just see if I can figure out a few things for myself. And um, one of the, the, the not the chaplain, but the the hospital nun. Came into the library looking for me, and she sat down with me, Matt. And she tried to talk to me, and I looked at her like, "Get out of here!" Can I, and you know, like, I don't want to talk to you. Right. And and she she said, "Well, uh, you know, I'm going to pray for you. Can I give you a hug?" And I'm like, "No, you can't give me a hug." I mean, I told her not. No, like, right,
0: right. You've,
1: well, that's kind of. I was very dismissive.
0: You probably felt um, betrayed by your faith a little bit. No, I'm
1: like, I'm sure that was the symbolism that was represented there. Like, you're showing up here, and I'm looking at you like. Goodbye. I don't I don't even want to see you or talk to you. Don't come in here and talk to me about faith. Um I think that was probably the the resentment or the betrayal uh, or something that was in my mind that, and this is way before my mother gave me that such great advice. But there was a turning point, and the turning point is k l.
0: Yes, I read that. Tell the audience more. I I love this. I mean, here's, you talk about a coach. I'm getting goosebumps because that's what true coaches and teachers do. It's not a four-year commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. Tell the audience when this was after Frankie's birth, Mm -hmm. what your state of mind was, and what did Kay Yao say to you?
1: So this is nine months after he's born. And yes, I was calling games and I was working, but I was really a shallow uh, version of myself. It was just a going through the motions, sort of trying to figure everything out, exhausted, um, don't have the right mental capacity to do many things well. And it's in Kansas City and it's at the 1998 Women's Final Four. It's the first time Kay Yao had gone, and the only time that NC State had ever gone to the Final Four. And Coach Yao was one of the good guys. Everyone loved her. And for her to take a team to the Final Four was such an incredible celebration, not just for NC State, but for women's basketball in in general. Everyone was genuinely happy for her. So uh, I'm calling the games on Westwood One Radio. They play Louisiana Tech. They get blown out by 30 I had seen her intermittently around the final four and during the season, but it was always like, hey, and she'd say, how you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine.
0: She knew at that point you had a baby with Downs.
1: Oh, she knew right from the very beginning. Yes, As a matter of fact, little sidebar, I found out just recently within the last year that when she found out that I had Frankie, she wanted to be prepared to help me and say the right thing. So she called a friend of hers in the College of Education who worked in special education and said, Hey, I need to meet with you. Can you meet with me? Oh, wow. This person recently told me they met at Pullen Park outside, sat on a bench, and Coach Al said, Hey, one of my players had a child with Down syndrome and told my story. Oh, wow. And asked this woman for counsel on what's the right verbiage? How do you handle it? What do you say? That's how much she cared. I didn't even know that till like a year ago.
0: Servant leadership at its best.
1: So we go to fast forward back to the final four um, and they lose and it's devastating because they got absolutely slaughtered, right? It wasn't even close. And so the next day was the first time that they were having a senior all-star game. So if you're a senior in college, you know, the WNBA is alive Mm -hmm. and well. And if you're a senior in college, they are playing an all-star game and they're going to play it in between the semifinals and the finals. It's the day off. So I go to the game. I set my stuff on press row I see a friend in the stands. I go up and say hello. I come back to my seat, and by fate, she happens to be sitting right next to me. Wow! So I said, Coach Al, I'm sorry about the game, and we talk about the game for a little bit, and then she says, "Debbie, I want to know how you're doing." I said, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm I'm fine." She's like, "No, tell me how you're doing," and I just burst out in tears, and I said, "Right I'm there, not- right
0: there in press row." You're bursting out while in tears. While
1: the game is going on. Yeah. And I just burst out in tears. And I said, I am I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think I'm handling it well. I don't think I'm doing a good job. And I just, I don't even know what I said, but whatever I said to her, she says to me, and it was the conversation that it it went, I think it went the whole game. Neither one of us watched the game. But while, while I'm sitting there on press row, she is saying to me, I bet finding out that you had a child with Down syndrome is very similar to finding out that you have cancer. It's not what you prepared for. You don't know how to tackle it. It's an opponent, and we need to have a game plan. Wow. You got to go through the different stages of, and I didn't know those were necessarily the stages of grieving, but she goes through, you know, how you nurse the hurt, You know why me? Then you curse the hurt. Now you're mad that it happened to you. Then you uh, rehearse the hurt. You you look for empathy, and you're you're kind of a you know you just need something that that's got to be there to help you that you can't find. And then you reverse the hurt. You decide. You make a choice like a line in the sand. I am going to beat cancer. I will have the game plan and I'm going to be the very best mother of a child with down syndrome that I can possibly be. And it was like the light went off in me, Matt. It was, I have chills when I share that story. I hope, I think people, you know, I've been calling games for a long time. It's very clear how much I love and miss coach Al. Uh, I don't mind saying that anytime, anywhere. Uh, and, And I, I, have so much gratitude and love for my coach and for what she did for me and this is i mean i'm i am more than uh i'm like 15 uh maybe 13 15 years removed from having played so it's a while since i've been you know, one of her players, but still,
0: you're always one of her players. The good ones, like you're always Dean Smith's player, you're always Roy Williams's player, you're always K. Yao's players, Pat Summit's player. And the good ones. That's that's the relationship. I want you to go over this again because this is a column nuggets. You talked about the game plan. K. Yao mentioned to you the stages of grieving. What were those four
1: stages again? Nurse the hurt curse the hurt, rehearse the hurt, and then you reverse it. And when she said reverse it and make a choice, it was like that competitive fire that we have that when when you think that you're at a deficit or you have a deficiency that you, you need to overcome and you know through competitiveness, hard work, repetition, It builds confidence and it gives you a chance to, you know, to succeed. I think when she put it to me like that, it triggered that competitive fire. Like, you know what? She's right. Okay, I'm done wallowing in all this self-pity and I'm done worrying about being, woe is me and everybody feels sorry for me. And yeah, I'm pissed off because this is not what we thought, but I would not change one thing about our family, our lives, what Frankie is accomplishing, the young man that he has become and the two young men that are his brothers and what they've, who they've become as well. Uh, I wouldn't change any of that, Not not any of the adversity, not any of the challenges, not any of those deep, dark holes that we have all gone in when things don't go our way, especially when things are... Uh, life changing like this. And so it goes back to coaches and players. And I don't want to get into the whole landscape of where we are now, but man, I value so much my relationship with Kay Yao and what she's meant to me, how she's helped shape who I am as a person, as a mother, as a wife. Uh, And then what I get to do is my career, which is a direct line and influence of, of her servant leadership or her ability to care, how she wanted the same thing for all of her players. I mean, she treated us all with great respect and she challenged us, but she never yelled. She was she was a teacher first. Wow. Coach Those Smith. Those are all powerful things.
0: Coach Smith never cursed, not even on a golf course when I played with him and if you don't curse on a golf course, you don't curse. I, I, I have to say there's three keys when you're dealing with adversity. Uh, you can quit. Uh, you can identify with it and just let it be your label, or you can embrace the challenge. Uh, you can quit when faced with adversity. Just run the other way. You can... Identify with it, and, and Bob McKillop would call it loser's limp, make excuses, uh, and, and just kind of go through the motions, or you can embrace the challenge. You embrace the challenge to overcome one of the biggest challenges, not only in your life, but in anyone's life, having a special needs child, and we all need encouragers in our lives, We need coaches. Your life's impacted by three things, the people you meet, the books you read, and the trauma in your life. And you just touched on all three of those. The people you meet, (laughs) Kay Yao, she impacted you. The books you read, you went to the library in the hospital to read about Down syndrome. And now you're impacted by the trauma in your life, which is delivering Frankie, who had Downs. And you embraced it and now the world is a better place because of Debbie and Frank Antonelli and the world's a better place because of Frankie. I mean, um, you know, you know better than anybody, especially uh, Down syndrome, young people. I wish I could be more like them because from my perspective, what I see, they're always in a good mood and 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 like you know you could have this oh my backs bother me and then you know but i'm sure you see a different side um because you're with him all the time but it sounds like he has a great sense of humor a funny guy fun guy i just appreciate you sharing your story with us with the audience um Debbie, I could go on and on because I know there's another stage to this of Frankie's education and the challenges that you've had with public education and challenging the school board, the administrators at school to treat him like everybody else. And that's inspiring. Where do people go to find out more about Debbie Antonelli and your, your charity that you have, which is called Frankie's?
1: I think you might be referencing my um, my fundraiser for Special Olympics, the 24 hours, nothing but net.
0: Nothing but net. And then
1: Frankie yeah, and Friends. Frankie and our, Friends. Yes, Frankie, Frankie and Friends. Kimberly. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me more about Frankie and Friends and your fundraiser.
1: Well, first, let me put a, a button on Frankie because, um, you know, he's the middle of my three boys. And he's smart and handsome and athletic, very social, has a lot of friends. He just happens to have Down syndrome. It's not what defines him. I don't like to reference a lot of cliches in my life, but one that does resonate um, here is, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, people see Frankie and they see him coming and you can recognize that he has Down syndrome. But if you are writing him off or judging him because of that, then you're missing out on a whole opportunity to make a friend. I'm not going to dive into, yes, the challenges. Uh, We'd be here all day talking about public school and and some of the things that I, I did or didn't do. Or um, you know, I I can button it up by saying I only had two teachers and one bus driver fired. There should have been more, mm-hmm. uh, and that was never my choice, Matt. You know, that was the choice of those that didn't want to comply with the IEP process, or we're cookie cutting. We're we're teaching uh, in a cookie cutter way in a classroom for, full of students with intellectual disability that all needed something different and more, and if they weren't willing. That's usually uh, when they made a choice and, you know, uh helped them find a way out the door through the Charleston County school system, which is not an easy task. I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, but uh, Frankie is a graduate of Clemson in the Clemson Life program while he was in college. He played in murals, He had jobs. He went to class. He was in a fraternity. He was a manager for women's basketball uh, and he lived life at the best of his ability and the best part about it is he made real lifelong friends that are now as a, as he grad has graduated he's living at clemson in the same apartment with the same clemson life graduates uh working two jobs he's really good in a four to five hour shift and that sets him up to be successful and he's works out with his personal trainer he's had a personal trainer since he was 15. He makes the best healthy um, eating choices that he can make, but there's a lot of good burgers and fries on College Ave and Clemson Avenue, and uh, and he's having uh, an incredible experience. He doesn't drive. He never will. He doesn't need any transportation. He Instacarts his groceries, and he can walk to everything that he needs right there in downtown Clemson, including today where he's going uh, to get his fingernails and his toenails cut. And I think he's in a pedicure right now, to be honest with you. He's in a pedicure.
0: What, what can so, we, as everyday people that don't have special needs, what can we learn from Frankie? Because, like, Frankie is a hero. Like, I, I want to live like Frankie and, and tell us what can we take away besides, you know, the book by reading the book by its cover. What lessons have you learned? And can you share okay. with us from Frankie?
1: Um, I I usually have a whole bunch of lessons that Frankie has taught me. And it would be it, it's a long list of things that I have learned from being his mom and being his advocate and, and being his uh, golfing buddy and his workout buddy and his rebounder when he's out there shooting. I mean, I, I have I have had the time of my life. Honestly, uh, we are so fortunate. You know, sometimes we go through life looking at what we don't have instead of what we do have. Amen. And Frankie, Frankie has um, incredible gifts. Where he remembers everyone's name. He loves to hang out. Uh, and when I go up there, and we don't go more than two weeks or so without putting eyes on him, just because. Uh, just for for us to feel better about what he's doing, just to keep an eye on him, and I talk to him every day. But I, I, and we do miss him. We miss having him around. Um, but um, he's a big self talker.
0: So tell us. What 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 do you mean by that?
1: So you know how we will resolve conflict in our head, where we're thinking about a situation and. We might be thinking about a couple of things we might do or a solution to this or that. He actually will verbalize his own about that? conflict and so self-talk. So for me, there are times when I hear him going through a process and it's not what you know, it's how to figure it out. That's what I've always said to Frankie. Let's figure out now, how would we do this? Simple things like you remember where we parked the car, because when we come back out, you're going to have to find it. Right. OK, Um when, when he swims, you're not allowed to use the ladder. You got to push yourself up out of the side of the pool because I always wanted him to build extra strength mm-hmm. uh, in his upper body Like when he was little. I mean, little I have a whole list of things uh, that the little things that you may not think about that I know that the coach in me um, thinking about, you know, when he was little, putting him in orthotics, because we know that if you're. Hips and your knees aren't lined up. Then you most kids with Down syndrome have a gait. Well, Frankie's pretty good, and it's allowed him to be this really good athlete and just things like that that you think about um, that might matter for later on in life. Yep. yep. Um, and making healthy choices and all that. But I, I do want to. I do want to say about 24 hours of nothing but net, because I think your, your listeners who some are going to be basketball people are going to be interested in this. So um, I came up with this crazy idea that I was going to make 100 free throws on the top of every hour for 24 straight hours. So at the end of 24 hours, I've made 2400 free throws. The first year I did it, I was in a gym and I, I have a dish, Dr. Dish. I own my own dish, Matt. When I turn 50, most women want diamonds and you pearls. You got a dish? I wanted a shooting machine. You
0: got a shooting machine, man? Oh man, Frank
1: Frank struck gold with
0: you. <laughs>
1: so um, I use that for my training, but um, to, to just tell you where we are in four years. So for four years in May, I do this. My next Fifth year will be May 13 and 14. I'll start at noon in my driveway. We live stream the entire 24 hours. It's on a YouTube channel. I interview different guests. I would love to have you on before uh, to pre-tape an interview or have you live when we're in the driveway doing it, Matt, because I think you would love it. But we have raised in four years, and all the money goes to the Special Olympics. Six hundred and thirty-five thousand wow. dollars. And my four-year average from the free-throw line is 93%.
0: (laughs) Wait a second. Which one are you more proud of? What number? The 635,000 or your free-throw percentage?
1: Well, talking to you, I'd be more impressed with the free-throw percentage. (laughs) There you go. I'm I'm mostly proud of the money because it's really not about the free-throws. That's the vehicle, you know, to get awareness. And at my age, the better I shoot it, the better the story is. Maybe somebody will say, hey – Look at her, she's getting AARP mail and she's out there in the driveway raising money for Special Olympics.
0: Well, how do people get in touch with you? A website, uh, email, whatever whatever the best way uh, for people to learn more about you and your charity.
1: Well, I, I mostly be interested in people going to 24hoursnbn.com. It's 24hoursnbn.com. It stands for nothing but net. It's the number 24hoursnbn.com. Uh, We have created this incredible event. There's other states that are getting involved, other states that get involved. The money stays in their state. We're trying to get everybody to shoot free throws on this day. I've got seven other states last year that joined me. I hope to add a few more this year. I think we're creating um, like a national free throw event and uh, it's all to benefit Special Olympics. And Matt, you know, like I say on the air, you know, players shoot till their arm falls off. Well, I am literally doing it in my driveway.
0: I love it. Debbie... Uh, you've been gracious with your time, especially with the start of basketball season. Uh, people now will look at you in a different light uh, that, that hear your story. And, you know, you're very well respected, obviously, Hall of Fame uh, inductee. Uh, but I think now when people see behind the mic and, and hear that story, you're real. You're a mom, you're a wife. You're a coach, you're a teacher, you're an advocate, uh, and I'm glad to consider you a friend. Thank you so much.
1: Matt, thank you so much. I appreciate you giving me some time to share my story, and I love what you're doing, and I wish you nothing but the best. You're such a great ambassador for our game, and this just proves right here that State and Carolina can get along.
0: That's right. Amen to that. Tell Frank I said hello, and Frankie. Have a good day.
1: All right. Thank you, Matt. Yep.
0: Leadership is a learned behavior. You're a leader, whether you're a parent, a coach, a business owner, or a friend. We all lead in some way, shape, or form. Thanks for listening. I welcome any and all feedback. You can reach me at dartycoaching.com.